Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Welcome to the Least of These Podcasts. We reach out to those the world has forgotten. If you'd like to know more about us and how you can donate to help us fulfill our mission, go to hisloveministries.net. Thank you very much and God bless you. Christians have known. Alright, well we're going to be in the book of Romans again, chapter 8, 5, starting, excuse me, verse 7 today. We're going to look at Romans chapter 8. Remember the whole book of Romans. We're going to start in verse 7 today. I don't know if John, you want to help him show him where we're at, verse 7. But what we're going to do is, verses 17 says that, that basically that the righteousness of, of God that comes through faith is from God. And that's what the whole theme of the book of Romans is, is right? Is the righteousness that comes from God by faith. The only way we're going to ever make it to heaven is by believing that Jesus Christ is God, trusting in Him and Him alone because He died for our sins, He died in our place. And there's nothing we can do to earn it, to deserve it, to pay for it. But as the old song says, Jesus paid it all, right? He didn't pay part of it, He paid all of it. And so the first really three chapters talk about men, men and women being condemned before God. And then that's the bad news. And then chapter four, he starts telling us how we can be saved. And he gives us the example of Abraham and David. And he talks about them. And in chapter five, he tells us how we are, once we're saved, we have peace with God. And there's, and basically that we cannot lose our salvation. Chapter 6, he talks about putting away the old man and putting on the new man. In chapter 7, Paul talks about that struggle that all of us are going to have as we walk for Christ. Before we know Christ, what do we do? We don't care if we do right or wrong, do we? But once we know Christ, what happens? We There's a new fight going on. There's a battle going on in the inside. Uh, as Paul said, I want the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I want to do, I don't do those. He tells us in chapter 8 how to win that struggle through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why he begins to tell us in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. To those who are saved, there's no condemnation, Right? And he, and he said that the Holy Spirit does three things. Number one, it sets us free from the, from the law of sin and death. It sets us free from that. And then once we are saved, he also gives us the ability to live for God. That's in verse 4. And then he talks a little bit later about how he also gives us a new nature in 5 and 6. When we get to verse 7 today, is kind of where we finished last week, is in verse 6, he said, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 7. We want to read, Because the carnal mind is enmity or hatred against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. All right, so what does he begin to say here? Let's look at verse 7. We're really talking about the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Remember, before Christ, we can't really change on our own. People have programs. They said, you know, let's do more education. Let's, let's lock people up. Let's train them. Let's do this. Let's do that. Better fathering, better parenting, all this stuff. But I can tell you, talking to people who've been through all that stuff, that it just doesn't work. And maybe you realize that too, but people that don't know the Lord, that's what they say is, let's try all these things. They use the slogan, just say no on TV. And I always ask people when we go to these facilities that people are hooked on drugs and alcohol, and I say, does just say no work? And they said, no, it does not work. Because <laughs> you can't just say no on your own. Really, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, once he saves us, he glorifies Christ to us and through us. He takes up permanent residence in us and he dwells in us. He fills us with the Holy Spirit so that we sing in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, make melody in our hearts and submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he gives us the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance. We'll see later in this chapter that he prays to God for us because we don't always know what to pray. He comforts us. He makes us holy. He conforms us to the image of Christ. He makes us witnesses for him. And he does all these things. And remember we talked about the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. And we don't quite understand all of that, but we've talked about it. Our body has a body, soul, and a spirit. And somehow, some way, the God the Father, there's God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they're the three in one God. They're not three gods, but they're three persons and one God. Like I said, one man said, if you try to understand that, you lose your mind. <laughs> and if you try to explain it away, you lose your soul. So really... Uh, most Christians today, they really don't know a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, if you listen to the world out there, the world kind of gives us a lot of weird things that the Holy Spirit does. Talks about people being laughing and talking in tongues and, you know, being slain in the Spirit and all kinds of crazy stuff people say. But those things aren't in the Bible. I mean, the Bible talks about speaking in tongues, but it... But unfortunately, it was misinterpreted because when you read in the book of Acts, it talks about 16 different languages. It doesn't say sitting there going, dab -dab 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 -dab, but that's all, folks, you know. That's not tongues. But that's what people say. And so, so what is the real work of the Holy Spirit? And this is what we're talking about here in chapter 8. We're talking about the real work of the Holy Spirit. And remember, if the Bible doesn't say it, 
and if it's uh, then it's then it's not right. And as one man said, if it's new, it's probably not true. Because if we've been looking at this Bible for two thousand years and we haven't found it, then guess what? It's not in there. <laughs> People are always coming up with something new. Open up your Bible and just say, where, where, where is that? Show me. And if you can show it to me, then I want to know. Basically, like I said, the Holy Spirit frees us from sin and death. It enables us to fulfill God's law. And thirdly, he changes our nature. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man or woman is in Christ, we're a new creation. The old things are in gone and behold all things are new so look at verse 7 because the carnal mind is hatred against god for is not subject to the law of god nor indeed can it be so then those who are in the flesh cannot please god and that's kind of really we didn't finish this up last week but really the carnal mind what is the carnal mind the fleshly mind right you could change that word carnal to be fleshly it is hatred against God. In other words, when you try to talk to somebody about the Lord that doesn't know the Lord, what do they usually say? They don't want to hear about it, right? Or if they, or if they do, when you start saying, well, you know, you shouldn't live this way, and the Bible says to live this way, and we shouldn't do this, and we shouldn't do that, what do they begin to do? They begin to pull out things like, well, doesn't the Bible say judge not lest you be judged? <laughs> One guy said the other day there was like four verses in the sinner's Bible. Now, one of them was judge not lest you be judged. One of them was uh, two of them aren't actually in the Bible. Cleanliness is next to godliness and God helps those who help themselves. Those are not in the Bible. And then the last one is, of course, Jesus drank wine. That justifies we can drink. <laughs> so anyway, the bottom line is, is the sinners, they want to do what they want to do. And they, because they don't want to subject themselves to God's rules. Because instead of understanding that, that true freedom comes from living for Jesus Christ. True freedom is not, not having to do stuff, but getting to live for God. What was the old singer Janis Joplin said there was freedom was nothing just another word for nothing left to lose, right? But here's the bottom line. When you live for Jesus Christ, you want to please God. And that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. So he says they are not subject to God's law, nor indeed can they be. Because the carnal mind doesn't even understand it. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You have to truly be saved to be able to please God. Because one guy said it this way. That when you look at people, what you have to understand is we see the full spectrum of people that look like they're, they don't ever really do anything that looks like it's bad, right? You see some people, if you really looked at their life, you'd have... A really hard time finding anything that they do wrong but they're still headed to hell because they've never asked God to forgive them and save them that's the bad news because we've all sinned at least one in our, once in our life that's why we need to ask God to forgive us and save us it's not the doing good or doing bad that doesn't that, that condemns us the ultimate sin is not trusting in Jesus Christ but then on the other spectrum, we see some of these people on TV and we read in the newspaper some of the horrible things some of these people have done that are just so atrocious that we just can't even imagine. 
But the bottom line is, is any person is capable of being that way if they don't know Jesus Christ. And that's what we call the doctrine of total depravity. And what one man said, there was a guy named John Gershner who was a theologian, and he said it was like this. Well, can't people do good things like help the poor and the sick and the lame and do good deeds and show love to their children and their partners and their life and their friends and their family? And he said, yeah, the people that don't know the Lord can do bad good. They can only do bad good or they can do bad bad, but they can't do good good. He says good good is that which is only good on the human level, but that which pleases God. In other words, until you know Christ, you can't really do anything that's done in a manner pleasing to God. Because when we do stuff out of the flesh, what are we doing? We're doing it because we want to be seen, we want to be heard, we want people to say, oh, look at Marty, isn't he a wonderful person? Isn't so-and-so such a wonderful person? Look at all the things they do. And that's why people get all their names put on the plaques and the buildings because they donated this building and did this and did that. Because they want to be seen, right? They want to be heard. They want the names on a building or on a street or on a bridge or a highway or something. To me, it's like, I want my name written down in the book of life up in, in heaven. And that's what's exciting to me is that I know the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 9. What does he say here? But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Verse 9, chapter 8, he says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed. Now, really, when we look at this verse, he says, But you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. This if is really one of these third class conditional ifs that means since the spirit of God dwells in you. And he's going to say that several times. And I don't know exactly why, but they use this third class conditional if and they use it to emphasize, basically I think what one of the guys I heard the other day was saying, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, and we know that he does, is kind of what it's an emphasis, the way it's used. But I'm not an English major, my son is, and he could tell me more why they use that. But, but I would just like to hear him say, and since the Spirit of God dwells in you instead of if, because most people don't read it that way. So what he's saying is, but you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, since indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. In other words, you are not fleshly. You live for God because why? Because God lives in you. And that's the only way we can please God. Here's the bottom line. I was listening to Kyle this morning on the way over here. This is kind of the bottom line. We exist to please God. Do we all understand that? That is the whole reason we exist. Is to please God. Solomon said it that, you know, he tried everything in the book. He said he'd done every good thing, every bad thing. He tried it all, he says, and all was emptiness. None of it meant a thing. And he says in chapter 12 or 13, whichever one it is, I can't remember now, uh, the end of the book, and he says, and here is the end of the matter. The chief end of man is to worship God and, and please him forever. In other words, the whole reason we exist, and if we don't do stuff to please God and we don't live for Him, then God, then life is emptiness. Life is vanity. It's not worth living. But here's the bottom line. 
What does he say? That the moment you trust Jesus Christ, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes into your life and he indwells you. I could read you a few verses and we won't go through all of them, but let me just read you a couple of verses. I want to go over to Ephesians 1, 1 13 real quick. And for those of y'all that have a difficult time, you can just stay where you're at. But Ephesians 1 13 basically says over here, in him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. He says, once you believed, after you heard the word of truth, you trusted the gospel of your salvation, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. What does the word seal mean? The word seal means basically three or four things. It means, number one, you're under the authority of the person who seals you, right? It also means ownership. It means authority. It means it's a pledge. So basically what happens the moment we trust Christ, what happens? God comes to live inside of us. God himself comes to live inside of us through the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's how we can live the Christian life. And some people say, well, you don't get the Holy Spirit till later until you speak in tongues or you do this, that, and the other. But Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to God. And the moment you trust Christ, that is the moment you become a new creation. I, I don't know how many times it's in there. It's in Ephesians 1. It's in Ephesians 432 that you've been sealed with the with the Holy Spirit of promise over and over and over. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you've been sealed. It says it several times. First Corinthians, I think it was instead of Ephesians 1, it was 1 Corinthians 1 or 2 Corinthians 1. But what does he say here? The moment you have the Holy Spirit, once you believe you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. What, what is this ring? It, it is a down payment. It's an earnest. It's a guarantee that when I give this to a woman, my wife, Shelly, that, that I was going to marry her, right? Or that I was hers and she was mine when I did this. When I gave her an engagement ring, that was when I was promising, right? Now, a man breaks his promise. But the Holy Spirit, what happens is when you... The Holy Spirit comes to live in you. What the Bible says is the Holy Spirit is the promise that one day that you belong to God and that one day he's coming back to get you. And there's nothing anybody could ever do about that. that that's why Romans 8 talks about that in an inner chapter, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, right? Neither height nor depth, the things above or things below. And so the moment we trust Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. He gives the power to live the holy, give, gives us the power to live the holy life. And we are here literally to please him. Romans chapter 12, what does he say over there? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. And that word acceptable means well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service, right? so that you may know that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 14, 18 says, For he who in this way serves Christ is pleasing to God, 
Ephesians 5.10 says, trying to learn what is pleasing to God. Philippians 4.18 says, I've received everything in full, having, having an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you've sent, a fragrant aroma, acceptable sacrifice, and acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to God. Everything we look at, when we look at the Bible, it says we're to be pleasing to God, right? And the only way we can be pleasing to God is if we live for Him. And the only way we can live for Him is if we ask God to forgive us and save us and the Holy Spirit comes into our life. He says you're not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit since the Spirit belongs, lives in you. And when He says the Spirit dwells in you, that word dwells literally means to be at home. The Spirit is at home in your life. He uses that same word over in Ephesians chapter 3 that he talks about the Spirit dwelling in you. Like I said, if you don't know, the, don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you do not have the Spirit. First, the most notable mark or the most important mark of being a Christian is you have the Holy Spirit. Like I said, God put his seal on you. He's putting his seal of ownership, his divine power. He's our protector. He's our owner. He's, we're in his care and under his power. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, by one spirit we were baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Holy Spirit has taken up permanent residence in us. Once we have the spirit, guess what? Nobody can ever take the Spirit away from us, can they? Because God is the one who gave us the Spirit. And God doesn't give stuff and take stuff back, does He? What does the Bible say? Whoever believes in Him has eternal life, doesn't it? It, says, it doesn't say will have, but has eternal life. That's why the moment you trust Christ, at that moment, you have eternal life. You have the Holy Spirit living in you, which is the promise of eternal life. Uh, Jude 1.17 actually says the opposite. He says in verse, actually verse 19, he says, these are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the spirit. So he says that the people that do all these evil things, that walk in ungodly lust, they don't have the spirit. So that you either are in Christ, that's why we said a few weeks ago that Paul uses that term in Christ. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. And once you're in Christ, Christ is in you. You're in Christ. You're in the Father. The Father's in you. That's all confusing, but what it means is you belong to God and God belongs to you. It's inseparable. Just like you can't separate the body from the Spirit, right? Till we die. Just like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one. What is He going to do? He's going to tell us in verse 9 and 10. Let's see. He says, verse 8, 9, excuse me. But in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, look what he says now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ in you, the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he goes on to talk and he says over and over again, he says, the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of him who saved you right and what's he talking about he's talking about the holy spirit every time and what is he showing here he's showing the trinity the god the father god the son god the holy spirit and then let's finish up verse 10 and 11 what i want you to understand is look 
if you have been forgiven of your sins, you have been saved, God himself through the Holy Spirit lives in you. That's what Jesus was promising back in John 14, 15, and 16, right? He said, I will send another one just like me who will be with you and he will live in you and through you and he will tell you of things to come, right? He was talking about the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And when he said another one just like me, I've told y'all before that he used a word that if I asked for a Bible using that same Greek word, you would have to give me another Bible. It's got a little piece missing out of here and the pages are worn. If one's wrinkled in one spot, it'd be exactly like this. So Jesus says, I'm sending somebody just like me. I'm sending the Holy Spirit, right? So let's look at verse 10 because that's very important to understand that once you have the Holy Spirit in your life, that we can live for God. We don't have to live in sin. We can live for God, right? Look at what verse 10 says. And since, or if, Christ is in you. This is another. In verse 11, he does the same, but if the Spirit. And all three of these ifs are really translated since. Like I said, that's an English way of or putting you know, emphasis on it. And since Christ is in you, the body is dead, because of sin but the spirit is life because of righteousness what is he saying here he's saying our body is dead right this body is going to die this body the reason we die is because this body is sinful right and what does the bible say the wages of sin is death right this body has to die and and what does he say like in second corinthians four sixteen, he says Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Ecclesiastes 12, 7 says, The dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit return to God who gave it. So bodily death is still a result of Adam's sin and ours. Ecclesiastes 7, 1 says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death better than one's birth. It's better if you know the Lord. I put it that way. And he says in Ecclesiastes 8, 8, and no one has the power over the spirit to retain the spirit. No one has the power in the day of death. There's no release from that war and wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. And so as he say that this body is going to die, but the spirit is life. We can talk about some other verses and we'll talk about that in a minute just a little bit. What does 2 Corinthians 5, 8 say? He said to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord, right? And so look at verse 11, we'll finish up. But if the spirit of him, remember I said, but but since the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. What is Paul saying here? He's saying that because the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. He that raised Jesus from the dead is going to do what? He's going to raise us too, right? And that's the good thing because this body's going to die. But what's going to happen? The Spirit's going to go to be with God, and one day He's going to give us a new glorified body, right? I can read that. Let me read a few verses over here in 1 Corinthians 15. I want to read a few verses over here. And we'll talk about that and we'll finish up. But think about this. 
The moment we trusted Jesus Christ, what happened? We had a spiritual resurrection. Isn't that what Romans 6, he says, you have died with Christ, you have been buried, you've been raised to walk in newness of life. That is what baptism pictures, right? What did Jesus do? He died, he was buried, and he rose again, right? So if we've trusted Christ, we have died to sin, we have buried, we have risen again to walk in newness of life. We are new creations, and now we live for Jesus. That's what baptism pictures. Baptism doesn't save you, but baptism pictures what Jesus has done in our life. We've had a spiritual resurrection. One day we're going to have a physical resurrection. No matter where these bodies have gone to, no matter what's happened to them, one day God's going to give us a physical resurrection. Look at verse 35. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, but someone, someone will say, how are the dead raised up? With what body do they come, foolish one? What you sow is not made alive until it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body, sow that body that shall be but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain, but God gives it a body as he pleases and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not of the same flesh, but there are one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption, it is sown in dishonor, and it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first Adam, first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Look down in verse 48. As was the man of dust, so also are those who made of dust. And as the heavenly man, so we are also those who are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. What is Paul saying here? Paul's saying, I really don't know what this body's going to be like, but it's, we're going to bear the image of Christ. What does 1 Corinthians 13 say? I think it's one day we'll see him because we'll be like him, right? And as much as a human being can be like Jesus Christ, like God, we're going to be like him. And that's the whole point of this, that all of this that I've just talked about, and I know this was kind of deep and Romans gets kind of deep, but the bottom line is, folks, is one day God's going to take this mortal body, if we know Christ, and he's going to make it an immortal body. He's going to take this body, I don't care if it's been blown up by an atom bomb, I don't care if it's been uh, the craziest thing that we've ever heard, was I heard a story about some guy that died and he was buried under an apple tree and people been eating apples for decades and one day... They, they unearthed the coffin for some reason or other. I don't know why. And, the, and then the tree had grown through the coffin. And I guess, they, I guess his body had been feeding, giving the, the apple tree nutrients. So I guess ultimately he'd been, you know, his body had supplied the nutrients for the apples. And all these people had been eating apples for, century, for many, many years. 
So those guys and all these other people, I guess, is nutrients somehow. That it kind of sounds gross, but you know that's really the way it works. It turns into something else, right? And literally, no matter what happens to our body, God's going to put it back together, and He's going to give us a new creation. He's going to make us a, a new body. And one day, I don't know how we'll be. Somebody says suggested about 33 years old like Jesus was when he died. I don't know, but the Bible says we'll know each other in heaven, that we'll know God, and we'll be know as we are known. And that's the good thing. So a couple of lessons. Number one, that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If we don't know Christ... Ultimately, there's nothing we can do to please God. That's why we need to ask God to forgive us and save us. And that's the whole reason Jesus came, right? I've told y'all before. If we could get to heaven without Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, there was no reason for Jesus to come, right? But Jesus, as the old song says, paid it all. He died in our place. He died for our sins. He took our hell. And he says, whoever calls on my name shall be saved. And so if you've never trusted Christ, ask him to forgive you. Ask him to save you. Confess your sins. Repent. Turn from your sins and ask him to forgive you and save you. And the good news is for the second that if we know Jesus Christ, that we do please God. That this Holy Spirit lives in us and he gives us the power to live the Christian life, the holy life. But without Christ... We look around all the time and we see people that quit doing stuff and next thing you know, they're back, a few weeks later, they're back doing it again three or four times as bad as they were before they quit. I ask that question every time in the jails and the prisons and over at Coastal Harbor and all those places. I said, anybody know this feeling? You quit doing something and about a few weeks later, you're doing it three or four times as bad as before you quit? And they say, yeah. And that's because on their own, they cannot quit. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to help us live the Christian life. Because what does Ephesians 3.20 say? He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to his power that works in us mightily. In other words, we got his power that works in us mightily. I tell them, tell them and I tell us that uh, we don't have to live the way we used to anymore. Maybe we hadn't done the things that bad of things as other people have done, but we still haven't pleased God. And we, pl- we still cannot live in a way that pleases God unless we know Christ. So ask him to forgive you and ask him to save you if you never have. And if you have, ask him every day to help you live the Christian life because the power is available to live for him. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that you did send your spirit to help us live the Christian life, to actually give us the power to live the Christian life because we cannot live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. That help is indispensable. It is absolutely impossible to live for Jesus without that Holy Spirit. So, Father, thank you for that. And, Lord, speak to anybody here today that maybe don't know you and help them to understand today is the day of salvation. Cry out and say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me. The Bible says today if you hear his voice. If somebody here today is hearing God speak to them and you feel like God's saying you need to be forgiven, you need to be saved, you need to just cry out and say, yes, Lord, forgive me, save me. 
and then thank Him for forgiving you and saving you because He said, whoever calls on His name shall be saved. We love you, Father, and thank you for who you are and what you've done for us in sending your Son. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Please help us reach out to those the world has forgotten. Everyone we minister to is locked up in some way, shape, or form. Those in the nursing home facilities are locked up in bodies that do not work in a wheelchair or in a bed. We minister to children and youth who are locked up because of behavioral problems. Some have told us we want to have a real family because their parents have lost or given up custody of them. Other kids are locked up because they've committed crimes. We also minister to those locked up at the jails and the prisons, to those locked up in addictions, to drugs, alcohol, depression, and suicidal thoughts, to those locked up in a variety of other things that keep them from becoming who Jesus wants them to be. He came to give us abundant life, joy, and set us free, and these people that we minister to are not free. Our desire is to show them whatever their background, no matter what they've done, to see how much God loves them. We seek to help them receive forgiveness and freedom from their sin in Jesus Christ. We minister in the local area of Savannah, Georgia, and surrounding Effingham and Chatham area. We have recently expanded our ministry to the Lexington and Columbia, South Carolina area. We do over 2,000 services every year. We hope and pray that you will support us in some way that so we can continue our mission. Go to hisloveministries.net and click on the Donate Now button or send it via regular mail to Post Office Box 1881, Lexington, South Carolina, 29071. We hope and pray that you will do that. Thank you and God bless you. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. John 832.